Welcome to Not the Only Kids in the Hall podcast. This is a podcast where we watch every episode of Kids in the Hall and then uh, talk about it and analyze each of the sketches. Uh, I'm Nick Ramirez and uh, my host, my uh, the other host, the co-host, Jared Emick and, and Amelia Ludkin are here. How are you guys doing? Great. I'm glad to be back. We're great, oh, yeah, Nick. We're, Thanks we're for asking. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. But hey, speaking of uh, great, we have a great guest. Uh, oh, good transition. <laughs> We weren't speaking, speaking about good. being great at all. Yeah. Speaking of the word great and good. <laughs> um, he's a, a writer and comedian. Uh, wow, I should have asked him what credits he wanted to be introduced by. I know him as my former sketch teacher uh, at UCB, but I know he's been in the CBS Diversity Showcase, a uh, bunch of other stuff. Uh, Frank Garcia, hell. Frank, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Did I miss any big credits? I mean, I only said one thing. I mean, I'll point <laughs> so I'm sure at, I did. It's fine. There's JFL. He was what? Okay, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. The yeah. Canon yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of yeah. It's it's. Frank's fair. done I'm a not, lot. I'm impressed. More I'm impressed. than any of us, really. So please take his opinions <laughs> oh, the most sure, seriously yeah. in this podcast. <laughs> well, and you've also you've worked with the kids in the hall, right? It's just, it's yeah. In some degree, uh, I, I don't remember exactly what, but I remember you worked with Bruce McCullough on something uh, on a show at UCB. Uh, I didn't work with him. I basically was like kind of his handler and introductor like i introduced him uh when he did his uh reading for his book um so like i, I got to meet him because uh shannon o'neill was like i know you're a huge kids in the hall fan especially a bruce you know do you want to do this job uh and i was like yes please uh but it was a little awkward but i've worked with kevin mcdonald's um i had taken a sketched or improv to sketch class that he taught uh because he would always like he kind of does these like now and again where he would just go around the country and teach these improv to sketch classes he did it at the pit and i took it and i we just kind of hit it off and then so he liked me and he used me in a few of his shows that he would do for his podcast and um i got to meet like rachel dretch and uh mike myers and stuff and He's just really cool. He's a really nice guy. Um, so I, yeah, it was it was cool. I was hoping that somehow I would be able to still work with him, but that, that didn't pan out because I really wanted to be part of that new Kids in the Hall thing that they were doing uh, on Amazon. But uh, yeah, because the Kids in the Hall are my favorite uh, sketch group and favorite sketch show. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So to this day, Can- nothing surpl- nothing surpassed them. I mean, I it's it's one of those. Uh, I mean, there's always stuff that comes along that impresses me and changes sketch. Com- I always love fresh takes on sketch comedy, uh, especially that break certain molds. And I, I just have a I would say yes for the nostalgia factor of it. And just the fact that even when I've seen them recently, when they would tour, it would just be like, this is incredible, you know, and then even watching the I mean, I own all the seasons and I've was really into uh, Death Comes to Town and uh, Brain Candy and all the other side stuff they do. And um, wow, yeah, Nick, you so might have I, met your match. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Might, this might be the first guest who's outfanned you. 
Frank is definitely a bigger fan than I am, but because I still haven't even watched Death Comes to Town. I, I have the DVD, but I never never got around to watching it. It's great. I mean, it's different, but uh, and there's there is some stuff like most comedy, as you know, by doing this podcast uh, and any podcast you do with any sketch show or comedy about comedy, things just don't age. You know, there are things that they thought they could do. And that's more recent. And there's even stuff in there where you're like, oof, why? You know, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's what it is, you know, not to soapbox it, but like comedy always has to evolve. And hopefully comedians don't make the same <clears throat> if at one point they were problematic uh, hopefully they know now not to be hopefully they learn from it and evolve that's the hope right hopefully because comedy is yeah well we are yeah, hoping that, that's the hope <laughs> but that doesn't always happen uh but that's just always there's oh i you can watch comedy from like two years ago even that you're like no you know i've i've written <laughs> stuff i've done stuff and you're just like i know better now and things that were acceptable or funny it's like or quote unquote funny, then it's you just have to comedy always has to evolve. And anybody who complains about, oh, it used to be this or that, it's like just you can still enjoy it on your own time, but like you can't stop progress, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we we uh we, we definitely have come across some sketches in this first season that are like, I yeah. wish we didn't have to talk about this. And I, I mean, also some... like um, I can't believe the idea of someone just privately enjoying the worst sketches and most offensive sketches of kids in the hall at home. <laughs> like, oh, I just there really got to rewatch are, this right. one. This is my favorite <laughs> sketch group. There <laughs> definitely <laughs> are though, because I mean, they're, they're, no, if you I go don't. to YouTube and you look up those problematic <laughs> sketches, uh, you'll see people who are just like, see this this is funny and like now you couldn't do this and it's like yeah you shouldn't do it anyway you shouldn't have even done it then like yeah. you know i think on the last episode you talked about the the sketch of like the look who's coming to dinner kind of parody with uh scott thompson and blackface and it's like mm -hmm. you shouldn't have even done that then yeah you know yeah. it's just like there there's a lot of problematic but like any like all i mean like i was a huge in living color fan and like most of that like i would say like 80 to 90 percent of that it's like oh all this is problematic you know right. snl too you watch any of the old snls like every sketch show or movie or comedy always had some kind of problematic aspect but like i said again like hopefully we evolve and learn from it and we're not looking we can discuss it with the lens of now without having to like I, I don't know i think it's like it happens and now we can talk about it and why we shouldn't do it anymore or why it shouldn't have happened then too can yeah, i um it's, it's, ask you a question this yeah. is sort of off topic about bruce mccullough yeah did he need a lot of handling was he like out of control <laughs> no he was like i mean like it really was kind of funny being like you need okay like I guess he just needed somebody there to take care of like anything he needed so that the manager could do, you know, their job or whatever. If he needed like food or water, kind of like a runner or whatever. But he was just very quiet. It was kind of awkward. Mm. Uh, I felt bad, you know, I was just like, oh, because I don't want to fan out. You know, I wanted to be cool about it. And he was very nice and he took a picture with me and stuff. But like, uh, yeah, because he's my favorite uh, member. Oh, so it's Nick's too, I think. And he's not no, in this was... episode at all, is he? Oh, no, he's, he's in it a little bit. He's he in is? A, yeah. Really? Uh, he's in no the top one, yeah. 
Uh, oh right, yeah. he's Kathy. And My in bad. the yeah, in the the, uh, the the bad moods thing, the mood swings. Yeah. Oh yes, uh, sorry, I forgot about that. I was thinking that because they have this one. Well, I'm skipping ahead, but there's a scene where there's some random guy who's like sitting in a place that you would expect a kids in the hall member to be and i was like where's bruce sorry oh. anyway. yeah no um, I, I, I wanted to ask about that later yeah <laughs> we'll come to that but i think i'm looking at the sketches and i can't figure out what you're talking about but we'll figure oh, out okay. but uh but uh frank i did want to ask you 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 uh, do you still teach sketch comedy not lately not it's been a while uh i was teaching character stuff online with the squirrel uh theater over the pandemic um yeah i i was teaching sketch at ucb here in la right before or as the pandemic was starting and i was halfway through a class that had to get canceled and they didn't pick it back up Hmm. um but yeah i still note sketch when people need it you know look at packets and stuff and just people being like is this funny or not you know (laughs) so i still have that and yeah, like, I was just going to ask you if there's like any kids in all sketches you show to students or that, that influence the way you teach. Yeah, I think a few that I show is, uh, well, like especially for character. And I, I always preface it bit by being like, depending on where I'm teaching, like UCB, as you know, like has a very, you know, game oriented, you know, structure uh, concept. I mean, but honestly, at all the kids in the hall is of the school of like that old kind of old school Chicago uh, even with Kevin's class, it was more about premise, about exploring premise, but it's basically the same thing. They're kind of like on top of each other of game and premise, right? You know, to me, premise is just what drives the sketch forward so that you can explore your game. Um, but their idea was like premise and then follow what if or if then, then what? You know, like here's the idea. And here's how we follow that. So it's still focusing on one aspect, but they're they're willing to kind of pepper in other little funny things where we would say that. Like, <laughs> that would be the improv principle of this is true, what else is true, kind of like mixed into it. Yeah, and I think they did a lot of, at the early days, I think they did a lot of improv to sketch. That's how they would write their sketches. Right. Uh, or at least that's what Kevin said. And I think that... Uh, when they got to the later season seasons three and on they just did more kind of they were starting to kind of split up a little bit and have their own little clicks and they did a lot more video sketches like you know season four and five is mostly just video sketches mm. um oh, and that's where they got a little bit more weirder and more premise based than say game based i was I always curious whether why there wasn't <clears throat> more of that improv to sketch kind of mentality at ucb considering <laughs> they did both so intensely frank, uh, you know separately but yeah, yeah i, took, uh, it, yeah, I right, took an right. improv to sketch class with frank i remember yeah. they would remember. come up every so often like electives right yeah i know i wished i took those i mean mm-hmm. what were those were those fun to teach and were was there any sort of i don't know resistance to that line of thinking or when you were either coaching mod or doing some of the other sketch stuff yeah, I mean, I never did it with mod because you don't have the time to explore like that. Occasionally, sure. I would, though. If if I was directing a team and the sketch just wasn't working and I trusted the actors enough with the writer's permission, I'm like, this isn't working. We need to explore. And the actors were improvisers or at least had enough of a comic, you know, uh, like sense with the understanding of like, we're writing this together, but you're still the writer. 
you know, like being like, we accept this, this, we're doing this as a team. I'd always try to push that of being like, this is a team. This is a team. Cause I come from that with my sketch group from uh, UCB Onassis. Like we were all like very much like whatever's funniest. And like, we're writing this all together and, you know, mm -hmm. pitch this, pitch that. So then sometimes I would say like, here's the premise, you know, the premise and the game, let's just kind of put it up on its feet and figure it out and just improvise, see where we go. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't, uh, it would just get more complicated. But that's the thing about like, with the improv to sketch, you just like, you play like a normal improv scene and then you go back and you talk about what was funny about it. Mm -hmm. And then you replay it basically knowing like what's funny and you explore a little bit more and then you talk about it again and then you re-explore it again. Uh, you tighten it up a little bit more and try to explore a little bit more avenues and then you go off and write it. And then you have you have your focus, but then you can kind of beef it up a little bit. But in the con constraints of class, you're you're having to do it within class. But now you have the sketch to write outside of it, you know, to take your time and really, you know, punch it up. Um, and like it, it had it was it was it was tough because it's like it's really hit or miss to teach a class like that. Hmm. You know, Did some I sketches would work really well, and then others are just like, eh, they're just kind of like too basic or like they just didn't pop as much as like a normal sketch would you know nick do you feel like you produced something that you thought was more interesting than usual while you were doing this like did it work for you as a system this is no reflection on frank's teaching or anything <laughs> <laughs> um i'm trying to remember what we came out of that class with and i i mean i don't remember <laughs> okay yeah there was <laughs> one sketch but i don't remember whether it was whether we even actually did that one it's about like a robot that eats <clears throat> pussy <laughs> wow sounds like uh some of the stuff i watch on this computer <laughs> anyway <laughs> should we move on to the actual show and talk yeah about unless it? frank did you have any did you there's something else you wanted to say about that about that Expand class and on robot pussy or yeah yeah no i mean it just was <laughs> like robot eats pussy it's not a robot oh, pussy. Me, sorry, that's sorry, a different sorry. premise Jared. <laughs> I, think, I think we would come out of each class with at least like two to four sketches and then by the end we just we did a show where we put up like uh the five or six that were like kind of the best of it hmm. so um that's kind of how it worked out but yeah I, I mean it's it's like really hit or miss and i don't recommend it unless you have to kind of just like with anything like every team or every individual has to figure out what works best for them or you can take an element of it to help yourself out you know yeah, I would have loved to have been able to do that kind of stuff with uh, a sketch team that I was really comfortable with, you know, that I that I, uh, that I shared important. a sensibility with. Yeah. Um, that's important because I think that, like, because of the system of, like, a place like Second City or UCB, they put the teams together by an artistic director, and sometimes you just – they try to match it up as much as possible, and I've been part of that process, and it's – you can't really predict and like some people will be on board with it and other people are like no i want to do it this way and then the team just never gels you know so it's like it's a big thing to have people who are at least have a common core agreement and when you uh when you cast writers and actors on a sketch team the way that ucb did it's mm. it, you, i think the, the writers kind of do want some own and i speaking as the as one of the writers the writers like kind of want some kind of ownership over this over their piece and if you Start they do represent us yeah. <laughs> and that well that well i was a writer actor on my team and 
I, I totally get that. And like, but that was the understanding is like, you're still the, just like in TV where you get the credit of head writer or you wrote the episode, even though it's a team of people who worked on it, it's still your idea. Uh, even if people pitch in things, unless somebody comes up with a bigger chunk of it, then it's a co-write. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, Amay is right. We have to move on to the show <laughs> that we're talking about. But yeah. before that, I need to set the stage. It's January 23rd, 1990. This is season one, episode 12. Uh, number one on the charts in the U.S. once again was How Am I Supposed to Live Without You by Michael Bolton. Wow, powerful wow. stuff. We're at a stretch here where it feels like Bolton <laughs> and... Um, Who's the other guy who's dominating oh, the charts? Oh, you mean the uh, person that's number one on the charts in yeah, Canada, Another Day right. in Paradise by Phil Collins. Phil oh, yeah. Collins. <laughs> it's Phil Collins and Bolton dominating this, I guess, certainly month, but almost, they, uh, I would say, year. They have the radio waves by the neck. They're just choking them out. It's Big adult like early contemporary December. year. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Frank, any thoughts on Michael Bolton and Phil Collins? Do these guys mean anything to you? Yeah, my mom was a huge uh, Phil Collins fan and a huge uh, Genesis fan. So uh, I grew up listening to all this. And I remember when this video came out, my mom being like, yeah, you know, it's about homelessness and like how we treat, you know, the homeless. And like uh, that was the big thing about this song. Uh, But yeah, I, I always had Phil Collins on and I like Phil Collins. I think he's a great musician i really like his earlier stuff too and the genesis stuff that he did but then also he's kind of just a funny guy because he just has a his his life is a mess <laughs> especially now i mean his his ex-wife walked him out of his castle so like wow. that's one of the stories so it's like you think there'd be more than one door to a castle <laughs> you would she like so, but maybe so she must like, i mean is the drawbridge yeah. is that what's locked or is there just the standard door I don't We're all know. trying I to say you... drawbridge first. <laughs> <laughs> I won. But yeah, race I, to the average I... joke. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, um, Michael Bolton. I, you know, he's whatever. But I thought that uh, Michael Bolton Valentine special that right. Comedy Bang Bang and Lonely Island did was really funny. Yeah, yeah we covered it was that. Really he, funny. He kind of fitting, fittingly had this like comedy career. Uh, yeah, post musician career and. Wow, yeah, Lita last transition. week was saying that he was very funny on uh, the Dating Game. Yeah, whatever the Dating show Game. I guess now. he co-hosts now, um, <laughs> which is strange. Yeah, number one movie, on number one movie, Driving Miss Daisy. But let's get let's get onto the show. We've spent enough time talking about what's going. Uh, so this first sketch was called Kathy Turns Over. Let me play a little bit from the beginning here, real quick. Seven five. You got that? Oh my god. Okay. Kathy, you're turning over. What? I am? Girls, quick, come over. Kathy's about to turn over. What? Get over here, Claire. Come on. Claire, oh, oh my god, yes, you are. Claire, oh, am I really are. Are. Kathy's turning over. Type faster, Kathy. Type faster. Come. So then we see right here that she has an odometer on the back of her head that uh, I guess counts the number of words she's typing. And mm-hmm. it's about to turn over from nine hundred or ninety nine thousand nine ninety nine to back to zero, like a car. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this was a fun little blackout. Um, it's uh, I-, I was surprised that it was shot in an actual office. Usually, these things are shot on stage. The Kathy and Kathy sketches. Do you, Frank? Do you remember any other Kathy and Kathy sketches that were shot 
in an actual office? Uh, the filmed ones were always in an actual office, you know, the, you know, of course, the stage because, <laughs> you know, they would always have mix between stage and and um, I guess uh, I thought filmed. these were always on stage. I didn't realize that they did these uh, filmed as well. They did a handful uh, because I think it, it depended on the concept of what they could get away with and how they could film it, because this kind of thing wouldn't work so much on stage. It just wouldn't have right. that same impact to show the odometer and everything so mm-hmm. yeah it feels like the cold opens are always filmed too or you know that maybe that's mostly at least I, the ones we've it, seen so far yeah they're I usually either, one, it just like had this like pathos to it that you don't usually get in a blackout from them i think it's often like kind of nonsensical but here it's like deeply sad <laughs> in a way also all the girls right. were there like everyone was in their best outfit and makeup and stuff it just felt like they yeah i love the reaction of everybody i felt yeah. they all felt kind of independent and natural mm-hmm. and committed i felt like seeing uh uh, McKinney it, react very excited and Foley kind of come out of the office a little dazed like not well, what's happening you know like it was just fun to witness everybody kind of realizing it in different ways um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they didn't just kind of all react simultaneously I feel like a rookie sketch group would have just all looked at it and screamed look look in the same way yeah Frank what, what did you think of this one did you remember this I mean I, I feel like you've watched this series multiple times do you remember this one in particular yeah I, I remember the first time I saw this sketch and I like lost my mind because uh, <laughs> I was just like this is so absurd and so funny and also like at that time like my ex- like exposure to I mean it's still like they should have had women play women uh, but this was like my kids on the hall was like my introduction to like uh I guess you could say grounded. Uh, Mark McKinney is a little big here, kind of doing the Python S. But like in my, in comedy, you were used to being like, "Oh, they're in drag. That's the joke, right?" Mm-hmm. The joke is that they're in drag. And with Kids in the Hall, it felt more like they're doing it to play the characters rather than being like, "Isn't it funny that I'm?" Because they're still playing the game of a character, and it felt like, um, yeah, it just wasn't the focus to be like isn't that funny even though it's like it still is part of the quote-unquote comedy that they're in dresses but it didn't feel like it felt more like i don't know i just it made me more like growing up in such a like like hyper religious and especially like kind of very like uh heteronormative it like really kind of opened up my mind to like so much, especially like Scott Thompson and everything. And it just kind of made me view the world a little bit differently. And there's like a queer aspect to this show that I just like really gravitated towards and a like feminine energy that I really gravitated towards. And um, that being said, like they're still playing it kind of broad, but it did feel closer. Cause they even said like, Oh, we were trying to play our girlfriends and mothers and stuff. We didn't want it to be very Python and big. Yeah. Uh, so I always appreciated that. I liked that. I thought it was smarter. But it, you know, now with the lens of now, it's like, yeah, you, you probably should have uh, yeah. had some, uh, yeah, uh, women in the in the troop, which they did. But then, like, you know, they left over the years. As yeah, they, they left over the years. But it's still. Um, but this one, I just love this sketch because it's just so ridiculous. Just having that you know, on the back of her head, and the it's excitement also it's, it's it. also like kind of saying something too. Like it's just. I, I don't know this kind of this this the kids in the hall. I 
growing up, I think kind of made me dread the idea of working in an office because all these oh, sketches yeah. were about how so many of their sketches are about how it's going to be awful when you have to work in an office. Eventually. Yeah. I mean, this is a great like commentary on that where you're just kind of a machine just chugging along and then you have a so much uh, so that you have an odometer in the back, you know, <laughs> that like will turn over. And that yeah. sadness of like being like, this is a big accomplishment in this uh, corporate world. And then it's like, oh, this is it. Yeah, and yeah. then it starts over at zero and you have to do it all again. Yeah, that malaise <laughs> um, that goes along with the office work. So I, yeah. I like that. I always thought they were good at like kind of like subtly having that commentary through these very goofy premises. So that was one of the things that attracted me to Kids in the Home. When you were talking about, I mean, we've talked before on the show about whether or not the drag is appropriate. And like it, most people seem to have the conclusion that they try to play it so real so it works. And I was thinking about... It's less common now, I think, at least amongst people at UCB, to see um, like a cis man dress up as a woman and have that be the joke. But there definitely was some of that in the early years that I remember pretty vividly. But yeah. there are some comedic artists who are like super like I keep thinking of Cola Scola as like being a person connected to this history because he oh, just yeah. like performs women with such specificity and um, yeah. It's so funny because it's like about the character in such a strong way. Exactly. I think it's the same thing of just being like the joke can't be this or like the the stereotype or it can't be the the surface. It has to be all about the character. And that's that's the the comedy has to come from the character, not from the aspect of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think with Kids and All it was it kinda became a gimmick, maybe, but they just because it was something that like made them unique in a way, but it was never yeah. the, the the joke. It was just something that was like, I mean, maybe sometimes it was a joke. I, I wouldn't say it was never, but I mean, but I was, they took was, pride in it so much in the fact that like one of their tours is like same guys, new dresses, you know, like, yeah. so it was like definitely a, a brand for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not the person to have that, you know, conversation no. to say like, no, this was okay or not. Right. You know, <laughs> Like, it's like, that's not my conversation to have. But like, for me, what, through my lens, I, I I appreciated that it wasn't like very big, broad, pythony, shrill, you know. Yeah. Well, let's. I just, uh, I just wanted to point out quick before we move on. I I know sometimes I I focus on things that seem insignificant. And this is probably one of them. But I love the production <laughs> of this counter. I love the choice to kind of like just put it on the wig. <laughs> it just looks so funny to me. It's like it almost feels like an afterthought, but at the same time, it's it's just perfect for the comedy. You read it so quickly. Like part of me would think like, oh, yeah, like you want it on the scalp or something <laughs> or you want it more part of you. And I don't know. I just <laughs> saw that and laughed so hard. I thought it was executed so well. There's so many ways they could have pulled that off. Well, yeah, let, let, that's a great point, Jared, but let's move on to... Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. You didn't want to blow right point, past to make me feel bad, it. so you thought you'd acknowledge it and yeah. then move on. Right. No, I'm long-winded, yeah. too, so this episode might be a little long. <laughs> I should ask Frank, uh, and also Jared and May, do you guys have to be done at a certain point? I'm technically can... on the clock right now. I'm supposed to be working, so I guess yeah, I also if, like, if we could be done by around right three, <laughs> that would be great. Wait, wait, okay. Um, but so, but yeah, seriously, okay. Just be, well, uh, like I can try to end it at. I, we're all on different time zones. I'm in Central, but uh, I, I'd say let's talk for another hour and then see where we're at. Is right. that okay? Oh, we can do that. We'll be we we'll do be that. done within an hour for sure. Right. I just yeah, want to make sure, sure you guys didn't I mean, need to finish. If I got fired, I get fired. It's a good episode. We're only on the second sketch, so let's. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like this is 
another one of those sketches that Nick loves and that makes me feel fucking insane because well, I'm because just like... It's- <laughs> It's watching Franny. this man emotionally abuse his wife and like that's the entire well, joke and i'm just I mean, like i can't handle it <laughs> well may you say another one of those sketches i mean literally is fran and gord the yes. same two characters that we've seen and we've seen I think these this characters is the third sketch of them. before right, let this me one, let me sure. let me real quick uh introduce this it's called mood swing sure. and i'll play a little clip right here you know i knew you were in a rotten mood i got about a mile away from the house and i could just smell it i've been in a good mood all day Oh, great. You sit around all day wasting a good mood on an empty house. So when I get you, your mood is worn off. Or you've gone through another of those bizarre mood swings. (laughs) I don't have mood swings. I have mood variations. Tiny increments that you can hardly notice. I don't know. That does make me laugh. I don't know. It's bad, but they remind me of my parents. They're... (laughs) It felt That's... more mean-spirited than the, the the previous few that we've seen with these characters. I don't know what it was. If there was, it just felt like he came home and he was mean to her and that kind. And I understand that the the, the deconstruction of the mood was, I guess, the game or the premise of the sketch. Oh yes, kind of Jared. Focused. Jared, uh, yes. give me yes, give me give me your summation of the game. This is something <laughs> I've been trying to do. Yes, we often we often tussle over what a game is and. <laughs> how short and, and snappy it should right. be. I would say deconstructed, uh, mood deconstructed is what I would say the game is. I wrote down um, bad moods are transferred. Yeah. I wrote this down okay. at like 4 a.m. 4 this morning. So. No, no, that's good. That's good. Um, Frank, who yeah. wins? Who wins? I mean, yeah, I would say if you boil it down, it's a transference of bad mood. You know, Man, it sounds like I win. He, it's, it's definitely mean-spirited as far as like, to me, whenever they do sketches like this, it very obviously, based on the way they would talk about it, and even in their book about being like they're criticizing their parents and what they grew up with. It's something that Lita said in that episode, the last episode that I really loved. That something I love about kids in the hall that I grew up uh, kind of around in Texas, around and you know this Nick kind of like this performative masculinity is how she said. And like this toxic masculinity and to me kids in the hall always pointed being like they would use it but they would always make them look like buffoons and be like these are just children these are grown children this performative masculinity and then kind of unfortunately also criticizing like their mother or whatever for being like accepting that behavior and going along with it and then this sketch to me felt like maybe it's just because I kind of have seen this in my <laughs> extended family, this type of behavior where they'll transfer. It's it's like basically just transferring a bad mood and then even how it like heightens to calling the sister yeah. so that she could transfer it to the sister. And then they both are in better moods yeah. at the end of it. <clears throat> so to me, it was more about like that toxic relationship, even though the delivery isn't quite um as succinct as it should be or i don't know i don't really like kind of like mean-spirited sketches especially when there's a dynamic like this uh but i could see where they were coming from yeah i mean it's it's a fine line between ironically pointing at it and like embracing it (laughs) and it seems that's the that's the problem with right that's the problem with like that kind of comedy too is because people are going to interpret it I mean, that you see this with stuff that we're fans of, too, where people just interpret it how they want. And they're like, you know what I love about that? And you're like, whoa, we don't. <laughs> that's not <laughs> yeah. what I love oh, about no. it at right. all. 
you really missed the point of like even something like I don't love Borat, but like even something like that. Yeah, we all these like finance bros are taking this from it rather than the satire of it, and it's just like, or like uh, I mean now now uh, he's kind of on the other side of it, but that's why supposedly why Dave Chappelle quit doing Chappelle's show is like people misinterpreting his his uh, his his uh, sketches there. I right. think I'm curious how you guys feel about this because I think what turns me off in these sketches a lot of these of this couple is that it kind of tries to make it seem like both of them are equally as like irrational and absurd but to me I just think it's a very common thing and I've seen it and maybe it bothers me because I see it in yeah family relationships where like a man's anger is kind of like always dangling over the relationship as a threat so like the woman's not even allowed to feel good or like enjoy a coffee alone in the house like he him saying like you wasted a good mood like being on the house alone like she's there she's allowed to have a good mood but it's it treats them both like they're both being equally um, stupid or bad or whatever, and from what my view, I don't think I, it's yeah. like a criticism no, that's of fair. him explicitly. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't know that. I mean, I I don't interpret it that way, but I could see why why you say that. I think of it as Bruce McCullough's oh. character is the is the asshole, and she just kind of puts up with him for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels like it's it's a little too real of the codependency of the abuse. So that's how I I can see. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've definitely been, I've definitely been in a bad mood and tried to force that on other people at times too, which I know I shouldn't. But <laughs> I think we've all taken it out on yeah somebody who we didn't mean to. Yeah, uh, let me. I, I wrote down a couple other timestamps here. Let me see if these are funny. <laughs> yeah, we've turned this into a real bummer of a sketch. You yeah. used to be. It is. Now no, it, it seems is. you're always just in a bad mood. I refute your words. It's you. You, you even complain about my good moods. Well, your good moods are a shambles. You know that. You shove them down people's throats. Well, I ask you, Gordon, what's the use of having a good mood if you don't share it with the people that you love? I got you there. I got you there. That's for sure. Well, those who talk about it the most actually do it the least. Oh, well, 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 well. I don't know. It's just, to me, this is funny, I guess, just because it, it reminds me of my childhood or something. I I, well, I did I did just notice here that uh, that Gord is wearing a name tag, and it makes me wonder like what was his job? He's a car salesman. <laughs> That's my guess. Um, something that uh, just talking about sketch structure, uh, something that or improv structure too, just being like, how do we make a fighting scene move forward? Of just being like her calling out the behavior of what he's doing. Because otherwise it'd just be argument and she's just saying, like, you're being this, you're doing this. And then being able to pull out more of a point of view so they can explore more. Yeah. Yeah, because it is just a talking scene. I mean, nothing. Yeah. There's no. It's action. more premise than, say, game, mm-hmm. other than, like, the the thing about transferring. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry, did I just cut someone off? Well, I was just saying I like some of the sniping. You know, I like uh, I'd rather be in a multi-car pileup really made me laugh. And I feel like these sketches, at the very least, they do have, uh, I don't know, in and of themselves, funny insults when they're going back at each other. And the overall tone and mood is a little dispiriting, but at least they make the yelling (laughs) funny, I guess, in and of itself. Yeah, I think Bruce McCullough is also just a really funny physical comedian. 
I always loved his like little manner. He always has these like facial tics that I always like loved that I would steal. Like, I mean, pretty much everything from Kids in the Hall, like I would steal, like just like little <laughs> things in there, like here and there. Uh, but Bruce McCullough, especially, he's really good at playing like just again, like performative masculine characters who are weak inside and you could see their insecurities based on like the twitches of his face or the way that he'll hold his body, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The star-crossed lovers one we watched last week, I think is a good example of that. Well, maybe not. It's, but, uh, but it is a good yeah. example of, uh, of Bruce McCullough <laughs> at the very least. Well, let's move on to Billy Dreamer one, which, uh, let's watch a little clip, a clip from it. You're in a downward spiral, my friend. And if you continue on this downward spiral, you're going to find yourself at the bottom. Now, I happen to grade everyone who works for me. And out of 17 clerks in my employ, I rank you, there you are, 17. <laughs> now, I know that perhaps you think that things aren't done the way you I don't know if you remember, but uh, uh, yesterday I asked for you to bring in that report by 1 o'clock, and, you know, it's 2.15-ish, and uh, I was just wondering. No big deal, no big deal. I was just wondering if you can get it in when it's, you know, whenever it's done. Sort of. Uh, kind of. Yeah. So for the game of this one, I wrote down just Gaia's dream sequences that are mildly better than real life. Is that a oh, game, that's much too long. I would that's say dreaming right. medium would be the way I would describe it instead of dreaming big. I thought it was dreams of mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So dream sequence is too specific of a thing. Mediocre dreams. Just too yeah. wordy. I think you're just too wordy with it. But you got the heart of it. I think the um, second one worked a little better for me, maybe just because it was like sillier in a way. Rather, because I mean, probably if you're getting like criticized by your boss, um, you are imagining something a little like a better scenario. But the other one, they're talking about a rock band. So you kind of expect for it to go cut to like some fantasy of being in rock and roll. And then it's this giant crazy chair instead. Of this yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, it's right. silly in a different way. Let's watch the that joke is more clear. I think. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I, for, I, and I plan to just play the second one. So you might as well just watch it right now. Yeah. Wow. Imagine if the four of us ever learned how to play rock and roll instruments. We'd be the best band ever. This weird little Billy Dreamer Billy. audio. Yes, very weird. <laughs> you don't need that at all. I don't know why it they. Sounds like someone's like calling to him out of the woods. Right, it's like yeah. a ghost or spirit is making he a makes dream or something. Best faces. I like too. this group. Yeah. They certainly do know how to rock. Wow. Imagine if the four of us ever learned how to play rock and roll instruments. We'd be in the best band ever. Yeah. But how do you like my new chair? So the only difference is that he has a, a giant beanbag chair. And I okay, love I'm just realizing... read right after that. Of, it's fantastic. I love your new chair. Okay, yeah. well, let's listen to it. So mild it's fantastic. I love your new chair. Yeah. That is good. It is a good chair, though. I want to sit in it, too. <laughs> um, this is the, the sketch where I thought Bruce McCullough wasn't in it, and now I realize he was. I don't know why I immediately forgot him after watching <laughs> well, this. Who's that but one I think guy, it's also this guy, guy on the right. right. You're like, yeah. who the hell is it's this Mr. guy? It's Mr. McKinney, yeah. 
Yeah, is that well, is that Scott was, Thompson? So I you're like, oh, they crammed a fourth that's one of the man writers in there. for the show, I believe. Yeah, oh, I want to say Brian Hiscock, but I might be wrong. They yeah, a lot of the name. writers would <laughs> sit in sometimes. But yeah, why on this? It, they they don't have Scott or Mark in the sketch. They could have added both either one yeah. in there. Why do they even need four people on the couch? I guess to like accentuate the power of the chair. Well, also so. they have a gag at the end of it where his legs are on both people. Oh, he's kind of crammed. Well, he could have been in the middle of them anyway. It doesn't no, matter. that's true. <laughs> it's funny you guys like the second one more. I I kind of like the first. I don't know. There's really? something. Yeah, there's something so funny to me about dreaming up about being eighth of seventeenth. <laughs> and, and touching a guy's toy car it just seems just so stupid i mean it's it's even less than dreaming medium it's like dreaming like just slightly above average well and, in that uh, so in, in that first in that first beat uh he dreams that his boss has a giant bushy mustache do you think that do you think <laughs> that, that was part a good of it call? read very odd to me i mean i think they wanted to immediately sell you on the fact that this is an alternate reality like they yeah. didn't want you have to, to figure it out so i thought that was a fun signal just i, I guess mean, the language of ridiculous. cinema was not as fully developed as it is today 30 Ooh. years later well i can't find uh, something that intelligent i don't think that's uh, true <laughs> i liked it <laughs> it just like kind of shows parts? his point of view a little bit more of like that's oh, what mustache. he thinks is an improvement <laughs> right i kind of yeah. thought of it that way too <laughs> he's like right well in in my version right he'd have a big mustache i'd get to touch the car um yeah it's just like he's got a, he's like a, got a child's mind too and it all seemed to click to me and, and it felt just realer you know that having a big chair I mean that's funny and sillier, but but trying to just you know fly under the radar at your job and not get fired uh, just feels like more of a real life struggle to me. That's true. I, I think the uh, the second beat would not have worked as well without the first beat. Yeah, uh, they build on one another. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen uh, Elena Scopetto's um, uh, boring lucid dreamer uh, mm-hmm. thing from Characters Welcome? I don't no, think so. I haven't. Uh, it, it's, um, I don't think she's seen this sketch. I mean, it's, it's somewhat, it's a, I think it's a, a more precise game where this woman is, uh, lucid dreaming at her office and it's like all the detail, the jokes in it are amazing. And, uh, if you look it up on YouTube, you can find it. Um, but it's, it's kind of like playing this a little bit similar game, but I think it's a lot sharper and got a lot more jokes in it. Uh, that are a bit more straightforward that I think it's really funny. She's a great performer too. Frank, do you remember watching this one when you were younger? Yeah. And I don't think I got it as much. I just thought it was kind of, I mean, this is before I even knew what like game was or anything like that, but I just thought it was, I thought Mark McKinney was so funny uh, in the, you know, the, the um, daydream. And uh, yeah, I just liked the goofiness of it. And I kind of wish when I was younger, I remember thinking, oh, I wish I would have seen more of him being like, don't touch the car. Like, that almost <laughs> feels like it's separate sketch where he just keeps nervously touching stuff in the office. <laughs> if I were directing a sketch team, I'd probably be like, let's write that sketch and then let's come back to this other thing. I, I, and then Michael Delaney would be like, that's not a sketch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, uh, when, so you remember watching these the, at least two of these sketches earlier. Do you, do you, were you watching these when they aired in eighty in uh, nineteen ninety, or were you watching them on no. Comedy Central later? No, my first exposure to Kids in the Hall was on MTV promoting. Uh, I I knew about them, but I didn't. I'd never seen it because I didn't have HBO or Comedy Central. 
but I had MTV and I remember seeing they did like these little like vignettes and stuff for brain candy. Oh, wow. And I saw brain candy first uh, and it like blew my mind. And I thought that um, uh, Jackie Harris, who was in that movie, was part of Kids in the Hall because she's in it so much. And uh, I was able to I, I knew there was a show and it we didn't carry Comedy Central and. I was like, I love this group. And then I bought a best of tape from like Suncoast. And that was my exposure to a lot of the sketches for the first time. Yeah, I think I had the best of tape. Yeah, there were two that were best ofs. And I can't remember which one I had first, but like it like blew my mind. And I was like, yeah, just everything. It was like when I first heard Nirvana and it changed my taste (laughs) in music and being like, whoa, what is this? And um, then. Uh, our cable provider picked up Comedy Central and they were showing reruns. So I was able to just tape them off and just like study them. And I was like obsessed with it, you know, and I would watch Brain Candy like all the time. You know, I still watch it a lot. <laughs> do you still do you think it? So you still enjoy Brain Candy? I, I, I remember loving it when I was younger, but I, I haven't watched it in a long time and I hear bad things about it. I mean, it's not great. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like nostalgia. I mean, they even they don't like it because it was yeah. pretty tough for them and they had to change a lot and there's a lot. But for me, it's like kind of like a nostalgia thing, you know, where it's like yeah. there are movies from your youth that you're like, I love this, but you can recognize it's not perfect. My a, my screen name on AOL was Gleeman X9. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, because I guess Gleamax 1 through 8 were taken. Uh, well, let's move on to <laughs> folk music. Uh, I'll play a little bit right here. I was trying to figure out what the best clip to come coming out of this was because it's kind of two different things. Yeah, there's a long setup into the actual joke. Right. <laughs> and I just couldn't be happier because, you know, I, I ain't never been a big fan of rock and roll music. Oh, maybe that makes me square. Maybe I'm a little old-fashioned and out of touch, but I guess I'll have to live with that. Nope, for me, rock and roll music, and excuse me if this is corny, just gives off too many bad vibes. All I know is, I never heard of anybody up for a murder charge and trying to pin it on Pete Seeger. And as near as I can remember, the Manson family never scribed in blood on a wall, skip to my loo. So that's part of the long setup for the sketch, but the heart of the sketch is two minutes of Dave Foley tuning his guitar until the st- the strings break and then smashing it, uh, which is just it, I I was surprised by how long that that segment of the sketch was, but it was very funny watching him yeah. do it. Yeah, it doesn't really play very, well very over funny. audio though. <laughs> it's it's one of those things too. It hits it hits me as a amateur guitar player that that is always kind of one of the things where if a guy wants to you know seem cool and he's and he's playing with an inexperienced player and he hands him a guitar and he sees how he tunes the guitar (laughs) that is such a like (laughs) clear sign of whether or not you're i guess skilled or not skilled or how fast and how comfortable you are tuning the guitar and to see him even before he starts just snapping the strings off which is very funny but to kind (laughs) of like I don't know, play it, you know, tune it with the harmonics too, both ways, the ding, 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 ding. It just is really, it, it, I think as if you, if you play guitar, you appreciate this, I think doubly as much as you, as you would otherwise. 
No, I was going to say, like, the specificity is what I think is so fun. It's so simple, and anybody can enjoy it, but also if you play guitar, that specificity of the harmonics and just the fear. Like, when you first start changing your own strings on a guitar, and the time I saw it, I just had started playing guitar, and it would terrify me because it's just so, like, <laughs> dangerous. And, like, if it pops, then it, like, I remember getting hit in the face by a pop string before, and... <laughs> And he can. It, there's one point where he just pulls a string off, and I was like, I know that's gotta hurt. That probably he probably hurt his yes. hand doing that. And um, even when he kicked the stool at the end, I was like, Oh yeah, that's one of those things where you do in the moment, and you're like, Oh, I, why did I do that <laughs> after a show? Right. Yeah. But even I love the this act of, of of turning it until it snaps would would scare me because that yeah that is just. That could just fly right in your face. So you guys don't think there was any preparation done to this guitar to make it appropriate to be a prop at a comedy show? Look, you think? It didn't look like there was. It didn't look because like a rock the, guitar. It, yeah. It, it played well, too. Because he played it, yeah. I thought, mm -hmm. like, okay, there's nothing wrong with it because it sounds like it's in tune and nothing's, like, he uh, must pre... asked for that. Like, he must have made a decision, it's got to be real, and then I want to smash it and have it be real. And it feels like the kind of thing that he would insist on. Right. Um, yeah, Long live rock ending. <laughs> it does take a few uh, smashes for it to break. Uh, <laughs> it's a well-built built guitar. <laughs> it takes forever for it to, the, the string to pop, too. Yeah. And you can tell he's, like, really, you know, cranking that just to make sure it, like, really breaks. This is something that would have, I'm sure, and it, it, yeah, it did really well here, too. But it, just seeing that live would have been so cool, too, uh, in a small comedy venue or, or the Rivoli theater where they were doing their live shows it's one of it's one of those sketches where you're like kind of jealous or you're like oh i wish i would have thought of that because it's so kind of simple i remember mike o'brien had a sketch where he's eating like a sleeve of oreos or something and he there's a knock at the door yeah and he's trying to get the sleeve back into the casing or like the 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 bag of like Oreos and he can't get it in and he's just like struggling with it and the door knocks keep going and it's such a simple <laughs> and the way he's looking as he's struggling to put it back into the bag is so funny and so simple but it's like one of those things of being like oh why didn't I think of that <laughs> um, yeah this is one of those things where Frank if you were directing mod and somebody pitched this sketch to you what would you say I'd be like yeah let's do it that's cool. <laughs> there were times on mod or even like, yeah, even recently when I was directing teams here where I'd be like, I'll, I'll eat the criticism. Like anytime they'd get a note, I'd be <laughs> like, no, I'll take the bullet for this. Cause it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's smash a guitar. Well, <laughs> I mean, my, t my team Onassis was just like, you know, we, we always were just like, what's funny. And we sometimes would just wouldn't do game in a sketch. Cause it's just like, this makes us laugh. And we got in trouble for it a lot. But we were like, mm. we don't care. <laughs> and <then> we just <laughs> uh, eventually got uh, broken up. But um, they, they yeah, broke you just, guys up. We were supposed to move to the weekend uh, with Stone Cold Fox, um, and then uh, certain people at the theater did not like us at all. Wow, I had no idea. And so that was squashed. But that's when we made our own pilot and stuff. And then we were trying to do, we were doing stuff outside, and we were doing like sketch fest and trying to become a group outside of ucb uh and we filmed that pilot and stuff and that you know um but yeah it, like someone like this somebody came to me with this on my night i'm like yeah we're doing it <laughs> uh well let, let's uh move on to this 
one of the sex one who's gay in Hollywood it's the guy who plays mr. clean gay <laughs> I don't know yeah probably they'll yeah. think about a classic Hollywood irony yeah <laughs> Guaranteed someone named Mr. Clean is performing the unspeakable vice of the Greeks. Of course! Yeah. Yeah. Of course! Yeah. That is you a great line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was like one of the few lines I wrote down because it yeah. made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, I wondered while I was listening to this, were they listing, because, you know, there's a par part where they're like listing possible names and rejecting the idea that these people could be gay, but a couple of them are definitely on the list of people who are notoriously closeted or whatever. So I was wondering yeah. if that was part of their joke there was well, well, yeah just said john travolta and then you could hear two audience members go like yes yes really no i'm dead serious if you turn up the volume you uh, you can't hear that and it was, oh really it, yes 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 Kids it's very in the hall. it's very uh soft but it is there and i feel like to amaze point i mean they are picking people who are rumored to be gay travolta uh, was the one i noticed time. yeah yeah, yeah. they 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 have the loudest most interactive audience ever oh, like yeah. they're so excited that was one thing i that always was i mean i love kids in the hall it's like i said my favorite sketch show but there were times where i'm like it's not that funny <laughs> like, yeah. be like actually <laughs> during this episode the, at the end of the first billy dreamer sketch everyone kind of erupts into applause at a moment at the end of it where you're like how the hell would they even know this is the end of the sketch like obviously there must be some sort of sign that's like blinking and oh yeah <laughs> Because they definitely, it has, there's no like button, nothing. It's yeah. just like a slow fade out. Or it's and everyone's like, like Woo! Yeah. <laughs> that was a and that was a film sketch too, so they were just watching yeah. a video of it. Uh yeah, yeah Blove Band is, was con he was on the show, he's convinced that most of that the most of this is not a real audience, that it's like it's all like uh fake laughter and applause. I think it's just They would show videos uh I think they would show videos live. Like they when Human Giant was around, they would show the uh, videos at UCB and they would capture in case they wanted to use uh, yeah. uh, like if they, they weren't sure if they were going to use audience or not uh, but they would capture that audio and I think they did show these videos live or if not then they would show it at the Rivoli I think I can't remember I think they did for the audience I I, uh, I, I read something about that in the book the, uh, the autobiography yeah. uh, recently but uh, they definitely copy and paste like they do normally in any you know kind of taped show uh where they bump up some laughter or they place it where they need it you know to yeah. beef it up well what did you think um, what did you guys think of this sketch though uh it's it's just kind of made up facts about hollywood right about who's i guess about who's gay in hollywood specifically but just kind of nerds making yeah. up facts basically i mean we've discussed the characters before i think it's a little difficult uh because you know fandom and geeking out over this kind of stuff has completely changed and then also obviously the specific celebrities that they're discussing have also completely changed in terms of relevance and so i think it's hard to kind of i don't know at least for me get into the mindset of when this was happening and try to appreciate it on that level but i don't know it was funny it had its moments i love that thing where they try to like they promise each other that they won't tell you know whatever they're saying and to do it they do a handshake and they take their glasses off and they go ah <laughs> they kind of like toast to each other with their glasses and the grunting. Um, so I like the characterization of these guys. Uh, sometimes I just think the sketch is hard to appreciate in 2021. Yeah, I did. I, th I, I thought the I laughed when he had that line about performing the unspeakable vice of the Greeks. 
That's uh, a yeah. great line. The yeah. rest of it was it, it was yeah hard for me to to get into. I think there's times when people like perform characters and it seems as though they're making fun of the character that they've created um, in a way where like they've created a vulnerable character. Like these two people seem like they would probably get bullied a lot or have a really tough time outside of their imaginary world as like Mm -hmm. um, huge celebrity gossips. So like it, it feels like they're making fun of these people who are vulnerable. Unlike, like, let's say McKinney's character of the truck guy. He's making fun of the truck guy, but who, you know, the truck guy is like this bombastic business guy who exploits people for truck money. <laughs> so it's kind of like a different attitude. <laughs> that old so there's something. <laughs> well, it's like, I think often people create characters in comedy to like make a, some sort of satirical point about society or an observation about a certain type of person. But the observations about these two kind of like waffle back and forth. Like sometimes it feels like a real thing and they're kind of like showing these people and how sweet they are and their like obsessions. And then other times it seems like it's trying to make them grotesque. So it kind of goes back and forth for me. And I, they're based, yeah. they're based on Scott Thompson, Scott Thompson's childhood, I think. So, yeah, that's what I was going to because I was like, I was hoping or not hoping I was this is the kind of thing because Nerdist uh, would put these sketches up and they talk about the sketches afterwards about what the the idea came from. And this is one I kind of wish they would have done because, uh, yeah, it feels like to me, this is like kind of Scott Younger being this geek talking about that and especially about who's gay in Hollywood and then even Scott's experience in Hollywood you know kind of like mashing the two together and what kind of solidified it for me is him taking down Sam Kinison or trying to like twist the knife with Sam Kinison because he was notoriously homophobic and a huge act at that time Uh, Sam Kinison was just awful uh, with his homophobia and so like to me it felt like him kind of trying to also like poke at him to be like hey dummy you know <laughs> like stop doing this you're you're awful but like it, it it to me like it felt like a hyper it's him like almost making fun of himself at that age being like this huge hollywood fan but i don't know that for a fact so that's why i was like oh i would like to hear his side of well, I, I didn't. I wasn't going to read it because I I read it in the last time we saw his characters. But I'll go ahead and read a, a little bit from the book where he talks about it from the biography. Uh, I don't see. remember that part. What's the biography called again? Uh, one big, one dumb, one dumb guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, uh, so he says Thompson's love of show business manifested itself in his nerdy and gossip obsessed character Weston Esterhazy, who he admits was little more than a heightened version of himself. I'd get so excited about gossip and pour, and I poured all of that into Weston. I put my mouth in that rectangle ship and just jam it all out in the voice of a comic book nerd. Mark's character was Virgil was born at the same time, so we just jam out nerd talk together. Nerds were still outcasts in those days, but uh, not like today when they're everywhere. So yeah, it, d- at least the, the the Scott part of it was based on his childhood. And uh, well, it feels like a little bit of having your cake and eating it too. So I think it's a, he did. Like, he said I, I added that nerd kid nerd voice. Exactly. So it's like it is him playing a heightened version of himself, but then he adds the nerd aspect of the mouth. So then it is kind of <laughs> punching down in a way like it's kind of like, again, it's like, yeah, having your cake and eating it, too, you know. And I'm sure like, you know, if I wrote a character based on myself as a kid, it would be it would be making fun of that person. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be like it would. Yeah. Be, who doesn't hate themselves, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
yeah, um, jamming out is what they, uh, they. If you read the biography, they, they, every time they they talk about like improvising scenes together, they call it jamming it out, which I'd never heard before. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a language. sex thing. Rock and roll, <laughs> cool and sexy than improv. Yeah, jamming. Yeah, out I love to jam it out. To say. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, let's move uh, on to this, the last sketch because we already touched on the second Billy Dreamer sketch. Uh, so this is yeah. Skuru about the the gentle shark. I was dizzy with delight when suddenly my ship sank. <laughs> we all went into the water and then came Skuru, picking us off one by one by one by one until only I was left. And as he bore down on me, he paused as if to say... What can I do? I'm a shark. I eat. And then he cut me in half. Cut me right in half. My wife measured me. I'm exactly half my former life. <laughs> but as he swam away with my lower extremities dangling from his jaw, I swear to God, he was crying. Crying? Yes, crying. Oh, to be sure, he's a brutal, killing machine, but he shows more remorse than I've ever seen in any human. Uh, that was a long clip, but I just wanted to get all that in there. Uh, this is so, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, it's an old sea town where everybody's mutilated by this shark skura, and uh, they, but they still love him because he's a gentle shark who didn't want to do it, but he just had to. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared, does that does that sum up the game pretty well? What that that long paragraph that you just kind of rambled yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good game. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, the gentle shark. I mean, I think it's in the title what the game is. Um, yeah, I th- really thought this was funny. Great prop there, by the way, on, on McKinney's shoulder. Just the bird feet. I thought that that was very funny. Oh, and when they were when um, they reveal that McKinney's lower half is gone, that <laughs> was pretty funny too. <laughs> that was great too, and I made me wonder. Well, what? How does that working for the live audience? I mean, that must have just worked really great at home. But then I guess. There must. I, I guess they're looking at monitors too, so it sort of works for them. Or they're just not anyway. even there, and it's all canned laughter. As <laughs> right, or just the bluff band theory in, in, in effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I did like. I mean, this sketch didn't really make me laugh because it it just wasn't that surprising. I guess I don't know. It's like once you get it clear that it's like the reason all these people are mutilated is because of the shark and they all love the shark. I was like, okay, but I did like that. They brought the shark in and just kind of abandoned all rules of physics. And we're like, it's behind this uh, hotel guy's counter. Somehow the ocean allows score to enter this hotel. <laughs> I don't know. It just got surreal there for me in a different way <laughs> that I enjoyed. Yeah. That's funny. It, it was, um, yeah, it was mostly, Dependent on the language, I guess, to on on the you know on the on the dialogue for 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 jokes. But I thought mm-hmm. everybody was very specific with their jokes and like a lot of really funny stuff. Like the idea that he had an undersea grotto filled with his own art, the shark did. Um, <laughs> and yeah. I also thought it was a, a fun way to execute. I mean, if the pitch is a gentle shark, I mean, I did like the kind of absurdity of bringing everybody into this hotel lobby and seeing them all as victims of the gentle shark. I just thought that that was a smart way to execute what is a pretty straightforward premise. Like, I, I understand it. I agree, May. Like, it is pretty basic and you get the jokes. But there was, 
something about seeing them in this context and and the innkeeper and the well, half captain and the. And I the think it was almost an homage, though. Like you know, a traveler comes to um, a new place and he discovers all the eccentrics who live there who are all tied together by some issue in the town or area. Right. Like it felt like a filmic to me. What? what right. So was could you guys point out any specific thing? I mean, to me, this was based on Jaws, uh, and like I was thinking of the scene where they it may show remind the me of stars. Moby Dick. I mean, okay. yeah. To me, this felt like a what if sketch. When you pitch it, it's like what if uh, Jaws was an empathetic monster, or like you you had mm-hmm. empathy for Jaws. You know, like what if he was that kind of monster? And so, like, everybody's just playing up about, like, how they were horribly mutilated, but they could tell, like, oh, he's just so tortured. He just couldn't stand it. You know, he couldn't help himself. Where everybody just felt sorry for him being him. You know, he couldn't help it. Um, that, that first, like, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead, Frank. No, go ahead. I was going to say this first uh, person he talks to, uh, the captain, I mean, it was pretty clearly based on Quint from, uh, from Jaws, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was good heightening, too. Even, like, kind of going back to the voice of reason and the sketch being like well why don't you just kill him yeah to like really illustrate like what the game is for them being like why would you know you know it's like would you tell the birds to stop singing even like turning it on him tell me have you people ever thought of hiring someone to kill the shark a shark killer what have you completely missed the point man have you missed the point please did you miss the point he can't help it. It's his nature. He's a shark. Yes. Would you? Would you? Would you kill the birds for singing? Huh? Would, huh? would you? Would you? Would you poison the fish for swimming? Huh? 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 Would you shoot the children for laughing? Oh, would you? Huh? Would you shoot children? <laughs> the way they all echo him too. Would you? Would you? Would yeah. you shoot children? It's so funny. But that just like solidifies the point of view of this crazy world. You know, like these the the characters. Like you want to elevate and like make that point of view concrete and that just like basically spells out like what the sketch is right there of being like why you know it justifies it yeah uh and then yeah it ends with the uh with score showing up behind yeah the, i uh, love that yeah <laughs> this feels the... like the most pythony kids in the hall sketch like one of the mo- like they they have a few sketches that feel like very pythony but this one especially how it starts feels very python yeah very i I mean, when you say very Python, what, to me that to me what reminded me this, uh, what what made me, what to me what that means when you say that about this sketch is that the it's a very clear premise, I guess, a very clear game. It's just kind oh, of like the the pacing, and also like the kind of like little nuance, like throwaway jokes, you know, about like oh you do like when he's saying like yeah I would like to know and even like. There was a, there, even like the way the the fin moved a little bit. They're like little like nuances, like little throwaway jokes and stuff. There was just something about a pace and that that felt like kind of Python to me. Okay, which is like at any moment it could like fall apart. Jared, like the sketch could like it's it's on shaky ground on a premise, but it could fall apart like at any moment. But they keep it together, you know. Right. Right. Jared, you're the Python expert on the show. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, just because I've watched more than you in a May, but yeah. No, I agree. I think there is a kind of a fun, like, you know, level of absurdity in there. I think the voice of reason characters, too, are very kind of Python-esque. I think there's one point, uh, 
McCullough to justify why they're there and what they're doing with Thompson says, yes, we came here to study plant life in the Bay Area. And Thompson said, that's right. <laughs> and there almost is like a bit of acknowledgement of how kind of silly and stupid it is. And that yeah. reads very Python to me. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a little self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there's something about, uh, I, I was reminded of Land Shark a little bit once the shark actually shows up at the end. Absolutely. That's true, yeah. And, um, you know, this, I, I don't know, I don't want to say one works better than the other. I mean, I do feel like sh- there's something about a shark <laughs> that is like a perfect, I don't know, comedy animal. And maybe this is a dumb general point that makes no sense. But there's just something funny to me about... Um, I don't know. It's such a visceral animal that's so associated with it. Like sharks, bears work very funny in comedy. <laughs> just something about animals that are known to just destroy humans, I always feel like work really well. What's another good comedy animal? Uh, gorillas? Gorillas? Yeah, they make a lot of appearances. There's a gorilla sketch in Kids in the Hall. Yeah. Yeah. They're not like robots and stuff like that. Yeah. Robots. What if a robot could eat pussy? Is <laughs> what if a bear could eat a shark's pussy? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it did remind me of Land Shark, and um, I don't know. I thought it was well executed. I, I like that they save these kind of longer um, pieces. It, 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 it's set, I, I've only seen, you know, I've seen bits and pieces of Kids in the Hall, but as far as full episodes straight through, I guess this is the twelfth episode, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm getting the sense that it's not only the longest sketch they save for the end, but sort of the most complete sketch or the sketch that they have the most confidence in. And it's often an ensemble piece. And I, I, I don't know, I find it interesting that they save that for the end as opposed to like an SNL that saves arguably their worst sketch or their most experimental sketch for the end of an episode. Kids in the Hall basically is like, well, let's end with our, our best sketch. Um, I don't That's know if true. You, do you guys agree, or have think, you noticed that? It, do you notice a pattern about where they place their sketches in the runtime? I think, in the at least in these early shows, that seems to be the case. Uh, they definitely like save ensemble pieces and longer pieces for the end. Um, yeah, in the last episode we watched, there was this. It, I feel like that barbershop sketch is a similar one to this. Uh, even right. even as it is just a guy telling stories for a lot of it, um, but it also featured. I think the whole cast and uh, had a clear premise and uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're right on there, Jared. That's a good, there's more of those types of sketches in the later seasons when they're more filmed and they're more like ambitious uh, where they're like more cinematic, you know, um, that are like this, but they're just filmed and they're like mo- more of them in an episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they just had a better budget because it is kind of an elaborate set, and everybody yeah. has their different costumes and makeup and stuff. Yeah, well, uh, as Jared mentioned, that was the last sketch of the episode, uh, so <laughs> we're basically done. Frank, is there anything else you wanted to say about Kids and All before you go? Um, yeah, I mean, like to me, they felt like their own like world. It just felt like because like i was such a big snl fan growing up and anything snl related and i remember first seeing sctv and they're canadian too and it just felt like its own little i always like comedy that feels like almost like it's it's it lives in its own universe like strangers with candy or something like that where it's just like a little bit off from our sensibility and it felt special to me it felt like a secret when I saw kids in the hall, when I try to tell people about it and my friends 
some of them were on board and others were like, no, uh, we don't like this at all. But um, yeah, they're just very special to me. I think like uh, they still uh, are big deal to me and I still love them. And I can still like view with the lens of now being like, oof, that's rough. But there are still sketches I enjoy. Like I even like, you know, like pen is one of my favorite sketches and like oh, seven yeah. things to do. And the monkeys, <laughs> I have like a whole list. I actually wrote down a list of 20 sketches that I really love from them. Uh, oh, wow. But yeah, I do you yeah, want to I'm share a, it with us and we can post I'll, it or I'll do it really quickly uh, or <laughs> okay. I can I can just give you the list. But yeah, uh, take a picture and send it to us. We'll post it on our uh, Instagram of 50 followers. What, what was the yeah. were they, was it ordered? Was it? Yeah. In- no, it wasn't ordered. It was just kind of like off the top of my head what I could remember. And I kept being like, oh, but what about this? What about this? What about this? But yeah, I think the the 20 I put down are like pretty like, OK, this is these are my favorite. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah, it was it, I, I've been lucky to meet, you know, most of them. Uh, I still haven't met Mark and I still haven't met Dave. Um yeah it's it's just i just love them yeah i just they they really had a huge impact on my sense of humor and especially like what i did sketch wise we never yeah. uh, we never got to the uh the sketch you used to show for your character class what, what... oh right i would show the doctor okay uh, yeah. bad doctor uh for uh for uh for character class because they they were one of the few sketch shows that would do monologues, you know, mm-hmm. and so like to show like mainstream monologue and sketch, you know, it's very far and few between, but kind of being like ex- as an example of like, it's not just bad doctor. There's a, a focus to this sketch that keeps it moving. It was more that he got by on his charm and we're exploring that. It's not just bad doctor. You can't just do something broad like bad doctor. Then it's all over the place, but we're exploring the truth of because he was so charming he was able to get to this position um and then i would show seven things to do uh for character as well as a point of view and just being like uh for character sketch just to be like okay like this person is at no point will this person change but we're exploring them no matter what the world does around them they're still heightening their behavior and we're showing more of their behavior and that sketch is such a perfect example of like seriously just focus of him I got seven things to do and he gets kidnapped and everything it's just like such a funny weird sketch and it's so simple um or even like eradicator like that's another one but um yeah I would show those I think I think those are the only ones I would show all, um, all great sketches I, yeah, I love Dave yeah. Foley in that seven things sketch it's like, oh, this yeah he's really the, great yeah he's got his own sub game going on yeah you know <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, yeah, Kids in the Hall, one of my favorite. I'm excited for the new Amazon series. That's right. And all the episodes are available um, on Amazon Prime now, I think. All the original. Every Everything but season one, okay. for some reason. <laughs> okay. That's I don't know why, about. but yeah. That's great. <laughs> right. Probably the reason we with what we opened this show oh, talking that about <laughs> could be why actually right yeah uh, a, yeah well Frank thanks so much for joining us uh, I know you have your yeah. your podcast about canon films called the Canon Canon it- yeah we it's me and Jeff Garlock and we talk about talking about um, viewing things with the lens of now <laughs> that one especially because these are movies that we grew up with that are like these action films and low budget like horror and sci-fi and woof like 
you don't realize until you go back, you know, and you're just like, so we, we visit these older films that we grew up with and we loved, but then we also view it with like our, our lens of now, you know, <laughs> being able to appreciate, but also being like, this is bad. Um, they weren't even like, like kids in the hall was attempting to be something great and was like, uh, and was critically acclaimed at the time. A lot of those Canon films were just kind of trying to put some kind of trying to put something together to make some money and nobody They'd really, be the, they were a studio that would release like 30 movies in a year. Yeah. And you're like, you don't, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you like should focus on 10 and really, uh, but there's like a charm to them, you know? Uh, and then I also host uh, a podcast with Pat O'Brien called the smashing punk cast, uh, <laughs> which is about the smashing pumpkins. Cause we're really big fans. And uh, yeah. And then otherwise you can just follow me on Twitter at Frank Garcia, Hale H E J L. And on Instagram, too, but mostly on Instagram, I just post pictures of my daughter. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, you can also right now you could check out the show next door uh, with uh, Randall Park. He uh, I wrote for that. It was like a talk show that's on Roku and Funny or Die. Oh, cool. Uh, It's like only six episodes, but I got to write for that. And um, a movie or a horror anthology comedy called scare package that you can see on shutter that i co-wrote and co-star in with um uh, we have a segment on there with noah segan oh cool yeah uh from uh from all those uh what's his name ryan johnson yes, movies, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah uh knives out looper yeah cool well thank you frank and uh until next time keep crushing those heads <laughs>